Welcome to the My Risk Advisor podcast. This podcast is for anyone in the Australian financial planning ecosystem with a focus on life risk insurance. Whether you're a seasoned advisor or just starting out, I think you'll get heaps of value out of this podcast. I'm your host, Phil Thompson, and I'm a life risk insurance specialist, and you're listening to My Risk Advisor. Hey there, welcome to the My Risk Advisor podcast. Today, I've got Alistair Barr from Striver Careers and we talk about the complexity of bringing on board some new graduates into the team, how a business can really set themselves up to be a place where grads want to join and how do we retain those grads? Once we've got them in the business, we educate them, we upskill them, how do we retain them? So it's a great chat. I hope you get heaps of value out of this episode. And if you do have anyone in your network who is either trying to look at recruiting or um, is thinking about bringing a grad into their business, I know they'll get value out of this episode. So please share it with them. And I hope you enjoy the episode. Thanks for joining us, Alistair. So help me understand what is Striver Careers? Yeah, thanks. Um, thanks for having me, Phil. I'm really excited to be a part of this uh, podcast. But um, yeah, Strava Career. So for for um, ten years, we've been jumping up and down, ranting and raving at universities around um, what what a great career path financial planning is. And and so what we do is we work with you know pretty much every single university in Australia. We've got a footprint in some way, shape, or form, and we um, we work with a whole bunch of students. We coach, we mentor, and then we position them for their first job. We've got a platform technology platform that, that um, does that for us and then businesses come on and they tell us what they're looking for and match the, the new entrants with those firms who hire them and and that's pretty much what we've done. And we've been doing that for about 10 years as I mentioned and, and Phil, we're just about up to our thousand placement in that time. Amazing. And and so one, one of the things that I've always appreciated about you is, is you're quite evolved in the industry and, you, and you've been around and you're quite knowledgeable about what's going on, you know, throughout the, throughout the time um, and so like most people in the kind of recruitment kind of space don't seem to have that really in-depth knowledge of financial planning. So what's your background today? How'd you get into kind of, you know, what were you doing before Striver? I appreciate those comments there, Phil. But um, yeah, so I, and I quite often say this, that I don't have an HR background. I've been doing this for 10 years. So eventually I have to say that I do have an HR background, I guess. But um, yeah, before this, I was working, um, uh, well, I started off in a financial planning firm in Western Australia, and then I worked in another um, small financial planning firm here in Sydney. And then um, after doing that for about three years, I ended up um, working at Colonial First State and Combank. And I went in and around. I was only going there for a short time. I ended up spending nearly more well, nine and a half years there. And the last job I did it, um, I started off in paraplanning, so technically, and then um, uh, went off and did some other things in retail bank and then came back to advice and then finished off um, building and running one of their franchise um, distribution channels. So we built 60 franchises around the country and advice businesses. So very much advice has been my background. Um, then I went and, and, you know, went off and built a social enterprise around financial literacy in Australia and worked with Indigenous communities in the northwest of Australia for um, a bit. And then, then Strava kind of built out of helping people out with that, that had a need. Yeah, and and I guess that's kind of my commentary is it, it's good to see someone who doesn't come into it as a, with a HR mindset. It's 
your mindset of, has always come from uh, from our time knowing each other has always been like there are problems that need to be solved and how do we solve that problems and because you've got an in-depth understanding of the problems, you, you're able to kind of facilitate that and, and be able to solve it. And so why, why Striver in, in the format of bringing grads into the industry and not go into a, just a standard kind of recruiting firm? Yeah, and so we, we specifically look at new entrants. So we don't we don't do the traditional headhunting and recruiting. We don't you now one of the one of the things that I've always seen, especially back in banking as well, is that everybody would poach from each other and and, and and which is fine, that sort of all happens. But that what that doesn't do is it doesn't build a sustainable future because bringing new people in was really key. And so um, you know, we got asked that question. Um, we felt, you know, that also looking at my journey and my career, like, you know, before I got my first job, I was washing cars at the Volvo with a marketing degree, was completely unemployable. Um, and so I sort of had to hustle my way into my first job. So I kind of didn't go the traditional route and, and thought that there was a way or, or a demand for young people to kind of, you know, work out a way to get their career started in a meaningful way. And then I really thoroughly enjoyed the profession, um, the difference that we made all day, every day and, and, and so forth. And, and um, so I was really passionate about the profession, knew how young people could, you know, hustle their way into their first job or what I'd learned. And, and, I, and I did relatively well, I think, in my career at, at, at Comex. So I thought being able to structure ability to get young people their first role and manage their career successfully in a, in a profession that I was really passionate about really made sense. And it was sustaining the future of it, not, you know, not um, sort of poaching it around it. Yeah, and I mean, it's kind of very similar to insurance advice. The way we look at insurance advice is when a client comes to us and they've got an advisor, like, well, great, go back to the advisor and have a chat to them. Like, I'm not interested in taking you as a client if you're not willing to have a chat to the advisor because you're just going to do that to me in the future. Um, And it's about growing the pool. Like, the insurance pool is really important for advisors to be thinking about. And so, yeah, what you're doing at Striver is growing the talent pool and not just, you know, reshuffling it. Yeah, hopefully, like, you know, those thousand people that we put into the profession over 10 years, you know, are going to be the future leaders of the place and, and, and you know, being able to look back and go, you know, having an impact on that was really important. You know, as I said, passionate about the profession, passionate about helping young people get fulfilling careers early. Um, you know, it all sort of made sense to stick there. And I didn't want to, I didn't, I didn't want to go and take from one half of the market to give the other half of the market. I'm not really interested in that. And, and also... One of the things that you mentioned earlier, like I'm I'm a self-employed business person, you know, so I understand the pain and the angst of growing, hiring people, growing people and so forth. So we sort of drink our own Kool-Aid there and having a good understanding of how business works and the pain points there has been really valuable. And, you know, we hire, we've got three graduates in our team. One of them, actually four graduates, one of them pretty much runs me and the business and all the marketing and stuff and she's been... Um, she was a university graduate when we picked her up and we got two, um, a software engineer who's a university graduate and two part-time university students now. And gee, the, the firepower on the output is just amazing. Like, sure, there's development needs and they need to come up to scratch and you need to spend time on them. But gee, the energy and the output's fantastic. And so help me understand kind of the, the changes into your world um, when the professional year came in and, and how did you guys go about managing that and from the advice firms, was there more reluctance to hire a grad because of that additional requirement or was it, you know, much more keen to bring them in? Like, was there any changes with regards to the professional year? 
Yeah, I can mount an argument on both sides of the fence with all of that stuff, but I think it's good for the profession because it it makes it easier for us to showcase to young people what the profession is. And so, you know, you're not going to be given a phone book and a telephone and make cold calls straight away on your first day in the job. That's not what you need to actually go through some structured learning and development and outcomes in a professional year like a, like any other sort of profession. And so that kind of, from, from that perspective, it made it really um it helped us sort of position the profession as a as a better place to be and more attractive to new entrants. So that was good. Um, so just just touching on that, was there were you previously finding a little bit of a hesitation? You know, grads moving into advice firms because it was maybe what's well, too easy to start, and I, you know, maybe don't respect it as much, or or it's just more of an you weren't hearing it, but but now it's there. It's an added benefit for those grads. Yeah, the, the later, I, look, I don't think, like, you know, the, the financial planning profession has been very, very difficult to attract people to and it's, and it's getting harder, right? Like, you know, there's talent shortages globally and all that sort of jazz, but I don't think, my, you know, if, if, for all your listeners, the one thing I hope everybody goes away and does is sing from the rooftops about what a place, good place this is, is to have a career. We should be telling everybody, not just trying to find new clients, but finding new talent. How do we find new talent? We tell people that this is a great place to have a career. You can make a living, you know, you make a difference to people. It's got purpose and, and outcomes. You can be self-employed. It's flexible. It's got so many things. You know, you can run a remote business like you. All these things are really positive. And we as a profession kind of get stuck on the negative stuff and think that that's what people are looking for. I tell you what, a 23-year-old knows nothing about the Royal Commission, no one, no twenty-three-year-old was watching it on um, live play out like the rest of us. Like, so that that's not what they're seeing. What they want to see is an aspiring light to go and be a part of, and that's what we need to create. Sorry, I think I railroaded your question there a bit, mate. No, no. I mean, we we kind of we're talking about the professional year a little bit, but more going off into this talent shortage. And I was talking to an advisor um, the other day who, because I mentioned on the podcast previously that I, like I'm really passionate about it, and I think you know what would I say to a you know a younger Phil is I would say definitely go and get involved in in the profession, and and I love it, and I and I think that it is a that has a great future ahead of us. And so the ones that are left are kind of like we're just licking our lips going, this is amazing. There's less supply, only increased demand for our services. So as a kind of just a basic economics lesson is you're going to be doing better if you if you get into it. Oh, man, the opportunities for, for new entrants are phenomenal. And like, yes, there is a few more barriers, but those barriers are not unique to us. And um, and I think that in, in the next part of the question is the reluctance for people to put PY people on because of the cost. Yes and no. Like, there's some really bad, like, um, bad examples of where it's gone wrong. And that generally, you know, when you grow people long term into a professional year, um, there's some really good outcomes. It's when people are hiring people and putting them straight into a professional year, that's when there seems to be problems um, because, you know, they they stick around for a year and then they get poached for another $20,000. So there's people poaching people coming out of PYs, there's people taking people out of customer service roles and putting them into PYs. And that seems to be a little bit of, of friction. But what, what I knew early and uh, has unfolded was the experience that we had before. No one, no client that we worked with was going to take someone, a 21-year-old straight out of university and put them in front of clients, even after a year. So there's generally a period of two, two years or two or three years um, team minus one before a professional year took impact. So what are you doing? You know, we're putting them to admin roles, um, customer service roles, underwriting roles, follow-up roles, 
power planning roles and getting to know everybody before you invest in the professional year. And that's what we see really work. So growing, you know, taking people on a pathway to their professional year and what does that look like? Everybody commits to each other then at the beginning of the PY after getting to know each other for two years and they go through a PY and, and the outcomes after the PY are clear and everybody is happy. That's that's what what how it works. Well, that's when it, when it works. That's how it yeah. works. Yeah, yeah. Um, and and that's what we sort of found. So it, it, the professional year doesn't butt up to to people rolling straight out of university into professional year. It doesn't happen. Yeah, yeah. And and I I just brought on someone who is fresh out of uni. Well, six months ago and. And put her into a role that was maybe a little bit above her. And then just we recently had a conversation and said, actually, you know what? I'm going to pull you back down into a more, um, like, you know, see like client services role, um, because I feel like that'll help you and it'll help the business because I'm not, you know, you're not getting over in front of your skis and, and going to trip up. Um, and that was received. I was a little bit hesitant thinking, oh, is she, is she going to feel like her career is kind of getting limited by it? But she was like, she felt the same way as me. She was kind of uh, well over her head. Um, and, and we both had like a clear alignment in going, well, I th- actually think this is going to be best for you because you'll get to learn and grow at a reasonable pace. And, and here's a kind of the next, you know, three, four, five years outlook. And I think, you know, I've spoken to other advisors who recently said to me, oh, well, you know, the annoying thing about hiring, you know, staff or hiring an advisor is you just train them up and then they leave. Yes. And it's like, well, you don't train them up because they're going to leave and they leave because you don't train them up. It's kind of this really interesting dynamic. That is, that is, that is the comment that I understand, but it actually has more of a negative impact on the ability to attract people to this profession than anyway, anything, right? Because... The reason why people are leaving is because they, they leave people and they leave, you know, lack of opportunity and and and, um, and promises not kept, right? So a clear development plan, clarity, teamwork, all the things that we all know about, they're the reasons people leave. And so to think, oh, I'm not going to, I'm just not going to do it is really, really negative and has a really impact, bad impact on the outcome. So what, my question would be like, what can we do to actually grow people and retain people better? Um, that's the solution to the problem, not just not training them. Yeah, and 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 to be fair to the businesses is they go, well, we can put a really clear as day um, tr- development plan for the next five years. I don't know if the business is going to be around in five years' time. I don't know if we're going to grow into this growth. And so like that's where it's like it it is difficult to, you know, not promise but make a, a career development plan with staff if you yourself as a business owner, well, are we going to grow into this? Well, let's hope so, but I'm not 100% sure. And that's where, yeah, it's just, I mean, my view is I just, I would just try and over communicate with, with the team as things change. You know, as a business owner, like things will change all the time. And I just want to make sure that, you know, what I said six months ago may change, but I'll tell you if it changes instead of, you know, leaving it up. Yes, transparency, delivering on your promises, all that sort of stuff sits in there too, right? But, um, and so you mentioned before you, you mentioned talent shortage. So how are you uh, how are you seeing that in the market from the advice the advice firm point of view and and from the the new grads? Is there kind of attitude shifts um, either way? Like what what are you kind of looking at? What's the state of play at the moment? Um, where do I start, mate? Like this um, is domestically and globally. So we've got like, three and a half hours of right, this podcast. So yeah, we're good. <laughs> Domestically and globally, there's a talent issue shortage, right? And um, and this is back to supply and demand. We've got a shortage of talent, and that and and so 
the, 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 the macro issue is that we've had great resignation. We've run out of this um, pandemic. We've got, in Australia, we've got lack of international students coming and studying. We've got people leaving and not many people coming. We've had more, more um, departures and arrivals through our, um, international borders per month for the last two and a half years than we've ever had. We've never been negative in that before. Um, all of those sort of things, uh, you know, and then you, we not, might not hire the international student, but the fact is the international student's now uh, not not working in the cafe that the person that you might have hired is now working in the cafe because they're more flexible, they're paying them more and having more fun there and they're delaying their career. So all this kind of has an impact. And then the other thing is that as a profession, we're really struggling to compete as an attractive place to be, right? Because we could, we've always competed with other firms. We've always competed with other larger financial services, institutions, corporates, and so forth. But we've got this new cool, right? We've got this Atlassian, Canva, Google sort of set up that it'll take any smart person in the first year of university and promise them the world. And we're not even getting a look in, right? So all of these things are driving and, – and I go around to the universities and I have for 10 years – and the numbers in those classes are declining. People keep saying that they're increasing. We, we see them. We physically see them. They're declining. And so, you know, I think there was a report that there were 300 people graduated with a financial planning degree last year and only an advisor ratings number said only 150 of them entered the profession. Um, and we only represent about 5% of all the talent that gets sets up on the, on the platform, about 7%. So already you can see we're talking about 12 candidates that are coming out there that are entering the profession with the approved degree. So we have a real source issue. We have a rep, not a reputational issue, a lack of, um, you know, what is financial planning and what is it and, and, uh, and why can we have a career? And so all that manifests. And then we're competing against people or whole sectors that we never competed against, right? So, you know, who's got the best fondue fountain and orientation day at universities? It used to be the finance department. It's not. It's, it's Canva. That's yeah, good. yeah. Do, and and do you feel like so? My my view of the world is, you know, I've I've involved in some you know Facebook communities with younger uh, younger kind of participants in the market, and since the pandemic, the the amount of um, personal investors is grown significantly. Like, and the amount of people being engaged in their finance has grown significantly over that time. So, do you feel like the boat, you know, given given that people are a bit more interested, and and I'm seeing people kind of talking about, oh, should they do financial planning? They they're much more engaged in their finances. Like year eleven, year twelve kids are doing this. Do you feel like that boat will slowly start to turn back around because of kind of the last two years this growth in people being engaged in their personal finances, or do you think it's a much bigger issue that we need to kind of be addressing? Um, is your is your question around are we getting more people interested in financial planning because more young people are engaged with their finances? So my question is, over the last few years, more people have been engaged with their personal yes. finance, statistically speaking. Yeah. So do we feel like that will – and what I'm kind of anecdotally seeing is people are thinking about, oh, I'm interested in finance. Maybe I should go into financial planning as a potential option. So do we feel like that could be a flow-on in five, six, ten years' time where that's the opportunity. people I – reckon, I reckon that's the opportunity, right? You know, I remember going to university early on and they were all starting to be investment bankers at this particular university. And and, the, and we got a, a good set of candidates who are still in the industry now um, who signed up and we got them jobs. And, and the reason why they did that was they were doing this investment banking and they weren't that excited by the investment banking. 
and they were wondering what they wanted to be when they grew up and they went off and did I think it was called personal wealth management as an elective and they realized that the finance they could use personally and then they could take that the personal um, you know how they could work take their finance education benefit themselves or impact themselves and then they could take that out and share that and they kind of made the click between oh there's actually something here and that so if we are all singing from the rooftops around what a great profession is to set yourselves up as a career. Like, how about saying we get to understand people, what's really important to them, and then we build, you know, plans and, and coach and mentor them around growing wealth, protecting wealth, you know, wills, um, estate planning and so forth, and we take them on a journey and we see them achieve what's the most important thing to them. Using your education, I think that specifically now when people are really trying to connect to a purpose and the roles that they've got in their careers, um, I think that's part of the angle. It's a good thing that the young people are engaging with their finances and if they know that they can build a career out of that, well, that's where we, that's the, the dots we've got to connect, right? Yeah, and, and that's kind of, you know, the growth of the Finfluencers as well is kind of really engaging people. Um, the, the kind of the downside, and, and I'm not a negative person and I've, i I believe we've got an amazing profession but the downside and what I've heard from a lot of young people is when they get in here and they see that they're charging someone five grand to do a statement of advice then they get really disengaged with I thought I was going to be able to help people with x y and z but the reality is it's so difficult to provide that advice and the cost of you know in an affordable way and so they kind of get a bit kind of you know frustrated that oh, maybe I'm not giving doing the impact that I've I first thought. So it's it's we have a difficulty attracting people here as as you have kind of alluded to but it's also keeping young talented people to go actually the you know how do we do what we say we're going to do as advisors and how do we do it in a cost you know effective way and that's kind of a much bigger kind of not to crack, um, that neither of us are smart enough to be able to um, solve well, I think that we solution. Just, we need to show the way a bit, you know. We need to take some leadership and build some advocacy around it. We need to, you know, um, you know, we're, there people are doing it, right? We're doing it. And there's, there's people like yourself out there who are, you know, running successful businesses that are making a difference to people's lives and, yes, charging for it because you're running a business and you're employing people and you've got mouths to feed and a profit to make. But I don't think that's, you know... I, I think we just need to show people the way with that. I don't. I, I do kind of feel that people. Well, there's no one that goes into a in, to pick up a lawyer that goes, "Oh, I don't like the whole charging of people." But you know, like mm-hmm. so. True. I think that's a, there's a little bit of ourselves, and then I think we just need to show the way and just you know this. If, if people want online digital advice with no advice, which is important because they're engaging. Um, engaging with their finances early on with non-complex needs well this is the these are the free versions but you know get to know it but when you get complex this is where we come in and we and we start to really help people and and that's right and that's where i think as as a profession we're getting much much better than we may historically have been where we're saying hey if we can't provide you value over and above our fee then we're not the right solution for you and here are some options for you and that's where i think that's it's a really good kind of movement that we're going towards in the past it may be do you have a heartbeat? All right, cool. You're a client of mine. Can I convince you to pay this fee? Yeah, cool. You're a client of mine, and yeah. and we are moving away from that. So you know, at a really quick rate. Well, I mean, it's, that's they're not sustainable business models, too, right? Exactly. And so, yeah. and, and that's where we're all sort of getting to, like, how do we continue to add value? And technology is making a big impact on that, and that might not necessarily bring the, the cost down, but it definitely improves the service that we give and and the way that we engage with people and that also is an attractive sort of solution for for new entrants too right 
Yeah, that's right. So, so there there's no barely anyone coming in to the to the market. So, as as an advice firm and as a as a leader of my advice firm, so I love doing these interviews because I get one on one consultation with people that are really smart, ah. much smarter than me. But how do we, as an advice firm, attract um, really good talent? Are there some things that you see the best advice firms are doing really well, and and what are the ones that can be doing better? What are they doing wrong? Yeah, so when we talk about an employee value proposition, right, employee value proposition, making sure that you've got a good culture, you're doing what you're saying, you're showcasing the benefits, you know, like um, there's some lots of sort of train wrecks around that as well. So we, we see firms that celebrate, you know, them as a team, they celebrate the difference that they make, they celebrate in their community. Um, they talk about the difference they make, they're clear on their purpose and their why and the difference they're making in their community. These are all areas that are really kind of engaging for, for new entrants, like um, you know, being clear on, on what, why, why somebody would come and work with you. So that's the employer value proposition. Um, being clear that what you say you do is what you do. There was a, there was a couple of, I get less of it now, but you know, the old client would come through, not now, but in the past it's how oh, we don't need we don't have a website we don't need one we don't need any um we've got too many clients as it is um but this is where culture and your brand are really important because if i'm going to do if i'm going to interview you feel for a job um what am i definitely going to do before i come and meet you yeah, google me and google, google the website and yeah. Yeah. yeah so what does what you was your culture that you want well, you, you're telling people you have when people Google you. Is that what they see? Does that reflect that? Is it inclusive? Is it diverse? Um, you know, if you talk about flexibility, are you flexible? Um, you know, do you, is your purpose resonating there? This is what you young people are looking for, right? This next gen are really looking for. So, um, I would I would be really clear on um, what your culture and your brand is. The next thing that's really important if you want to hire anybody but specifically a new entrant is like what is the role being clear on that and and what type of person i heard someone say yesterday like do a skills audit of what you've got and what what are the gaps and in the personalities as well who do you want to hire it's all good and well saying gee feels great he's just like i was when when i was that age that's not what you want you do not want that person because that doesn't get any diversity in thinking or skills or, or anything in your, in your firm and you kind of end up with this group think thing. So be clear on what the role is and what the type of person is. Those would be the things. So your culture, your purpose, why would anybody come and work with you? I also did this exercise quite often with the candidates that we work with who have one or two job offers on the table or two or three job offers on the table, right? And then listing like the top five things that are the most important to them and then and kicking remuneration out of it and then getting them to go down for each firm, weighting it and then you know, adding up which one's stronger in each of those areas. And the areas that, um, that, that uh, they put in there as priorities is leadership, career development, um, flexibility, location, purpose of the firm, product, brand and office. So those are the things that kind of create this environment um, where you know, people, and also if you if you're hiring university students, make sure that you can articulate how their careers will unfold in the firm, because naturally they're aspirational. They've been to university, right? Yeah, that's right. And so my my follow on question: Do you think there's like a a, a f- perfect firm size to hire grads? Like, as in, my main question is: Do you feel like you need to be a big firm? You need to have ten people in the the team before you can really 
build a grad program or not even a grad program, but just have a grad in the business? Or do you feel like any size business can, can nail this really well? Yeah, and this is something I'm really passionate about, especially with, um, like, I'd say privately owned business, but if we, you know, if it, if it was a, a, a three-person business or, or a 50-person business versus, uh, um, you know, a Combank. So I, you know, I, did, I worked for nine and a half years at Combank. I met the CEO and shook his hand once, right? So um, this is how I help businesses position themselves to, to, um, to compete against that. You know, you might be able to meet the CEO, have a coffee with the CEO every, every second Tuesday. We're also, the other thing that's really interesting too, how, how a smaller firm competes, and we've seen plenty of small firms compete against large firms and win, um, is, um, is that you're closer to the client. Like, I believe that new people starting their careers should be generous before they become specialists. If you end up working in Combank, you go and work in the power planning or the technical department and you are there and that's where you stay and that's what you learn. Whereas in a small business, you know, you, that these candidates um, or these, these new entrants get to see how the client first engages with the brand, what their journey through to the, the ultimate services, what the outcome of that service is. They see the closer to the client, the closer to the value and the purpose that they're giving, the closer to the decision maker and, and you know, they, they become a, a, you know, a big fish in a small pond. That's the value proposition that a small firm needs to play and it will win because, you know, you want people that are going to be self-starters, good attention to detail and a strong work ethic. Um, and they're the people that a small firm will attract, but you will compete and you'll do it really well. And in fact, you know, small business is the biggest employer in the country, right, as a percentage. Um, so the opportunities are there. And, and I think also large corporates have not done themselves a super service in, in the past few years around some of the things that they've done and been sort of dragged through the media on. So I think it's a really opportune time to be showing um, new entrants the opportunities in private business. And so and so, kind of the flip side, do you feel like that business, if someone joins that business, that business needs to be growing to offer that career opportunity? Well, you know, that, that also, if, if the assumption is that you want to keep that person for 40 years, right? So, you know, I, like we have two... Grads, well, the, the part-time university students in the business, right? Um, I would love them to grow with our business forever because I like everybody that works for us, and I, you know, assume. But I'm, you know, they might come, they might finish up their degree and stay with us, or they might finish up their degree and leave, or they might work for us for one year and leave. And I'm kind of cool with that. What we want to do is make sure that we're getting, you know, a return on the investment and some more um, bandwidth back by working with them. And I'm not. I'm not naive enough to think that everybody loves us and they're going to stay with us forever. So I think you need to also kind of go, well, that role needs to be done. If I put somebody in there, how does that give us a return on investment? And 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 what is a, what is a success, right? If we keep them for two years doing that role, is that success? That's great. Or if they leave at this point or this point or this point, where is it that we think that's not successful? Um, because you know, no one's going to stay with you forever. That's right. And, and I mean, my experience literally just finished two weeks of meeting with every one of my staff and, and I had like four questions at the end. Two of them was, why are you working here? Because basically, you can get a job anywhere 
else. You can't work for NASA, but pretty much you've got a lot of opportunity at the moment. So why are you working at Sky? And it was good feedback. And, you know, I'm their boss, so they're going to, you know, pump my tires a little bit. But it was just a good discussion to be like, what is the actual reason you're working here? Because it was different for different people based on different life stages. And then the other question I asked was like, what's your future? I don't, whether it's inside or outside of Sky Wealth, that, that's of less, less importance than understanding where you want to be and, and how you want to grow. Because, and a part of that conversation was to make the, make the team members comfortable telling me if they wanted to, like if they had a career growth or aspirations outside of Sky. And so a part of my discussion was like, I'm not precious about whether you're here for 10 years or whether you're here for two years. I, like, I want to try to maximize the value that we get from every staff member, but I want to be able to also just help you grow into whatever it is you want to grow into. And it's also helpful for me to understand that because then we can kind of plan around it and, and I can you know, grow you out of the business if that is your long-term plan and, and how that looks. And so, yeah, I just, I just spent literally two weeks having these conversations with the team about what do they want to do and why are they here and, and all of these things. It was it's kind of really timely to hear these things because, yeah, that was it was really good and, and I'd encourage anyone who's listening to, to do that with the team and just have that robust conversation um, with your team members because I learned heaps um, about why people are here and what's important to them and basically no one said because I'm getting – like everyone's like, oh, it's a job, I'm getting paid, but no one was here because we're the best payers. Well, and you, you, you know, the information that you would have got out of that would help build your employer value proposition, right? Mm. What people are saying, that, that, you know, they're telling you why they're there and what they like about it, and and that, then that's your value proposition. So that's that's really important feedback too. And also, you know, like you're going to get you'll get buy-in from who actually is going to be a stayer and who is going to move on, and you can be a bit more strategic in your planning on that. And you know. People, we shouldn't get precious that we don't keep everybody in the business forever, right? That's mm. just, you know, there's things you can do. And, and so if you can kind of get away from, you know, taking that as some sort of, you know, failure on your behalf that people leave, but you go, okay, well, cool, that was always going to happen or we, we sort of knew that was the right thing to happen or it's the right thing to happen and then plan for it. Then that's you're gonna, right. You can stay and that's that. And that's the, the – people leaving isn't the worst thing. It's, it's not knowing that they're going to leave and then they leave is the worst thing. Like that's what I think about. If I kind of have an understanding that someone's going to leave, then great, I want to know this as early as possible so I can kind of plan for it and have that conversation with them. Are you planning on leaving or what's that roadmap look like for you, for them yeah. personally? And so you mentioned it before earlier and again, this this personal consultation, I appreciate you coming here for <laughs> it. Um, but you mentioned you really encourage um, – grads to go out and, and find a generalist position. So at Sky Wealth, we're a specialist business. We only do insurance, personal insurance advice. So help me understand, like, do you feel like it's a great idea for grads to look at a, a holistic advice firm so they can kind of touch touch everything? Do you feel like it's valuable to join a specialist firm? Yeah, so when I, when I mentioned that, I was really talking about like not going into big business, big corporate. Yeah, 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 like not one function in a firm. I'm a real fan of insurance-only businesses. We've got some great clients that are insurance-only businesses and we've put some really amazing striver candidates into them. Um, so, no, I don't think so. I mean, you know, you, your product is, is your product and your service is your service and I think, you know, um, you know, making insurance really attractive is is what you need to do, and and good advice and good risk businesses do that really really well. And um, 
And so, yeah, no, I don't think necessarily think they should be going and doing. I think it's the right fit for the right people, and and you know, like a smaller a smaller business wants to find people that have got transferable skills from their other roles, and you know, good attention to detail and a good work ethic, and whether it's holistic advice or risk only or investment only or whatever, I don't think that really matters. It's just. Um, and, 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 you know, the, the individual is going to get a general – coming working with you, they're going to see how you brand it, how you market your business, how you talk to a client, how you provide a service, how you hand out a check, all of these things. And the, um, and that's the generalist experience they get in a specialist firm. That's right. And, and I guess that's kind of the question is, you know, how much of a weighting – if we do the pros and cons and, and we weight those pros and cons, how much of that is the technical knowledge that, that a, a grad's going to learn in a firm versus everything else that you learn about a financial planning firm? Um, like how much of a weighting is that technical aspect of it? I think career development's very high. Um, but is that, that I'm learning different stuff or whatever? Um, I don't. I don't know. I don't think so. Um, I think a career, you know, how am I going to get, you know, how's this going to benefit my career over over time is really high on their checklist as compared to, um, you know, I'm a learning investment or insurance. But where it might come down to, it isn't what is the service that you're offering. But I think that's also life insurance businesses have traditionally felt like they were going to struggle because they felt that it was really narrow. But, I mean, there's really there's some complex advice that you guys give, right? Complexity in advice, I think, is your selling point, you know. Buy-sell agreements for businesses and things like that. Those, That's where and – and, you know, how, how impactful – is good risk advice when it, when people really need it. Like so, the, the difference that you make in people's life. Those are the sort of things that I think really sort of resonate. Then it's all good and well, you know, making the clients all this money, but you got to protect it as well and make sure we cover a rainy day. And I think that's if you can articulate that well, then then um, I think the product and the service stacks up. And that, and that's right. And and for me, it's um. It's not even just the the risk insurance advice. It's like a self managed super fund specialist. It's a you know all these specialist firms. People are starting to niche into kind of what they do well and, and referring out. And and I know personally with our recruiting experience, it has been an interesting um, kind of conversation where I'm talking to you know people who are you know just starting their advice careers, and I'm saying to them. Well, yes, the technical expertise you'll become and you'll be really deep in that technical expertise on insurance and and it is technical not even the just the buy sells but the underwriting field underwriting you know all of these things it does make it really complex um, but it's the soft skills that, that you'll learn and and the the ability to sit in, like in our firm the ability to sit in front of like you know 700 clients a year as a, as a firm and and the the conversations that you'll have in that and and the amount of kind of volume that we do does build in a lot of that like expertise and um and and yeah I, i'm just finding it interesting and, and my experience has been the pushback i've gotten um and you know people could people aren't going to tell me directly hey phil i don't want to work for you because you're an idiot which could be true but they're probably not going to tell me that um but the pushback i've sometimes gotten is uh I'd much rather, you know, join a holistic firm to give my technical expertise more rounded. Yeah, and I guess that's just, you know, part of how you position that. Um, and there are people that go, well, investment's what I'm interested in and that's where they want to be. Um, but, yeah, I mean, there's plenty of, I mean, I always say to risk businesses, I mean, you know, make, make your product sexy and, um, and those that do it really well 
get really great great you know talent into the firms and so and no, i mean you, you guys you're referring to advisors and you have exposure to that as well so it's about how you kind of bundle it up and sell it as a package and say this is where you'll get your exposure but this is what we do and you're going to learn your soft skills and these are the bits and also becoming a becoming an expert in a specialist area is what's their um now, what people are going to hire, right? Like the expert in life insurance mm. is very, very attractive in the market because they're a specialist and they know it and they can bolt them into a business that doesn't have that sort of capability. So, you know, building out a, a, a new entrance sort of expertise or CV to make them very, very hireable in the future, or even though you never want them to leave, um, it should be one of the value props for them. Yeah, yeah. And so this has been a great chat. Anything else that you think as we start to wrap up that, that advice firms or even grads who are listening to this should be thinking about when they're, when they're looking for their position or, or looking to hire? Um, yeah, like so a couple of things. Like for the new entrant, um, it's not, it's not, uh, you're not going to lose a limb over it. That's probably one of my favorite things to say. Like making your decision on your first job um, is not as important as it might feel like. So getting, you know, but making sure you're resonating with your employer, especially in a marketplace like this, you know, you've got choice. So make sure you like the people, you like the service, you like the product, you can learn and grow and there's a clear career plan. That's sort of one of the keys for the, um, for the individual and then for the firm. You know, especially with new entrants that don't have a CV or you can't see what they've been doing on, on LinkedIn or you can't call their ex-employer, look for transferable skills. Like what are the important things that you need? And do you need somebody that's going to be, you know, fully educated and giving advice and giving advice tomorrow or are we taking people on a journey? When I say transferable skills, you want to find people. I believe that, you know, most every firm that we work with wants good communicators with attention to detail and a strong work ethic. And they can fit in the team. So where do they develop those sort of skills? They develop them at McDonald's. They develop them at stacking shelves and Woolworths. They they develop it working in a family business. Those are the transferable skills that you should be looking for and focusing on when selecting that person. And also make sure that you are really clear on the type of person and the role you've got for them because if you're not clear, you'll end up tripping over each other. Mm. Amazing advice. I got two questions to finish up. So first one, when do you get a chance to do your emails? Do you have a specific time of day? Do you do them all throughout the day? Oh, really good question and I'd love to hear everyone else's answers um, because I'm about four days behind on mine so I don't do them daily. I pick up ones that are on the go. I, I try and do them. I'm an early person so I try and do them before anyone comes online. So I try and get them done maybe, you know, before eight thirty in the morning. Yeah, yeah. The reason I ask is I'm horrible with emails, and and I, it's the kind of the bane of my existence. The emails and my inbox is is kind of my cage, and when I can free myself from my cage, I'm, I'm much happier. Yeah, yeah. And well, which which means you should, shouldn't keep going back to it, but I do keep an eye on them. But I but I tend to be systematic in the mornings. Mm, awesome. And uh, what's one interesting hobby that you have? Um, my children are my hobby. I've got like a two and a five year old, and I just I absolutely cherish every second I've got with them. And um, and and you know the pandemic's been an amazing thing because it's allowed me to be closer to my children than I might have been before that. So um, yeah, anything that my children like to do is my hobby. Awesome. And uh, um, a boy or girl? Both boys. Both boys. Three and so five. yeah, you, you get home and wrestle. Yeah, 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 yeah. Well, I try and I get out of the house early, so I don't see them in the morning. But yeah, it's it's full bottle at night time with them, so it's great. I think um, 
especially if I've been out all day, they, they seem to think that I'm a bit fun, yeah. which is great. We'll see how long that lasts. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, I've got, I got, I live in nine and seven, and they still think I'm the, I'm the bee's knee. So uh, you got a little way to go. Yeah, that's cool. That's yeah. really cool. Um, awesome. Well, thanks for um, taking your time today. And how do people get in touch with you if they want to know more about yourself or more about Striver? Well, we're on all social media channels, but Striver.careers is the website. Um, hook me up on LinkedIn or, um, or all, all the digital channels. Amazing. Thanks, Alistair. Thank you very much, Will. All right. Bye. Thanks for joining us today. If you've enjoyed this episode and you think someone else will get value out of it, I'd love it if you could forward it on to them. And as always, we can continue the conversation in the My Risk Advisor Facebook group. All you need to do, open up Facebook and search My Risk Advisor and I'll see you in there.